My name is Madeline. I'm a medical student and host of the Voices of Aging podcast out of the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. This week is Careers in Aging Week. For the occasion, we have a week's worth of episodes lined up from a variety of folks involved in aging work. Make sure to tune in every day this week to learn all you can about working in aging. Welcome to Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we invite people working in a variety of different fields related to aging and hear their stories. Tune in. Either you're considering a career in aging, or want to learn more about aging fields, or simply want to listen to a stimulating conversation, you will find something you like. Find Voices of Aging on the iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Madeline with the Voices of Aging podcast. Today, our guest is Representative Jennifer Schultz. Representative Schultz is from District 7A in Duluth with special interests in economics and health policy. She is also a professor of economics and health services research at the University of Minnesota. Hi, Representative. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, Madeline. I would love it if we could start by having you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us about your involvement in legislation related to aging. Yeah, so my name's Jen Schultz. I've been a state legislator now since 2015, and I've been working as a full professor at the University of Minnesota Duluth since 2004. So I um, did not intend to get involved in politics or in long-term care when I was studying for my graduate degree, my PhD in health services research. I was mostly working on health insurance reform and working with health economists. I did work briefly with um, Professor Robert Kane on some long-term care issues, but I had no idea I would work on this policy area in the legislature, which I've been now doing for um, three years. That's wonderful. Um, What is it then that ultimately inspired you to enter politics? You know, it was never on my bucket list, but I had been working with the state legislator at the time as an academic. His name was uh, Tom Huntley, and he had been chairing Health and Human Services in the state legislature. He'd been, I think he served over 20 years, and I'd been working closely with him on health health policy issues. And then he decided he was going to retire, and I was at a conference, and someone asked if I'd be willing to run for his seat which I'd never even contemplated before. And I said I would think about it. And at the time, our kids were much younger. And I thought my husband would say, maybe uh, you should wait, but he actually encouraged me to run. So I, without really putting a lot of thought into it, I decided to throw my name in the hat and ran for the office, the office and um, won. And um, that started my political career. But previous to that, I was so focused on getting tenure, publishing, starting a family. Um, I didn't have a lot of extra time to be involved in local politics or even state politics. Most of the work I was doing was at the national level. 
But I also knew that to really move on healthcare reform, um, states needed to be really involved and could pilot a lot of interesting healthcare reform. So I was eager to get my hands dirty in the policy world and implement a lot of the research I'd been reading and conducting on healthcare reform. Fantastic. And to expand on that a little bit more, could you walk us through how your career interests change specifically as you progress through your education? Yeah, I always been I've always loved to learn. And so I knew when I was an undergraduate that um, continuing my education was what I was going to do. So I knew I was going to go to graduate school. I just didn't know in what field. And I was torn either between public policy or economics and decided to go straight economics. And when I was pursuing my graduate degree in economics, I wanted to do my dissertation in healthcare economics. I really wanted to contribute and make an impact on healthcare. And I thought that would be a much more rewarding than other fields in economics. And so at the time I was out West working on my PhD, I looked to see where the most health economists were, and they happened to be at the University of Minnesota. So I entered a PhD program called Health Services Research, which I wasn't that familiar with that field, um, but entered a second PhD, which I don't recommend, and then learned all about the healthcare field. And that was really um, transformational because as an economist studying mostly economic theory, I didn't get a lot of exposure to what was happening in the healthcare industry. And it really strengthened my ability to apply economics to healthcare and make an impact because as most of the students in healthcare know, healthcare is a very different market um, and has much different consequences when you try to reform it. Um, than other more simple markets. So that was sort of started my career in um, healthcare economics and healthcare reform. And then when I got to uh, the University of Minnesota to continue my PhD, um, that's when I started working closely on, on research projects and meeting a lot of people in healthcare reform. And at the time, Minnesota was a leader in healthcare innovation. Everyone across the country, they were looking to Minnesota to see what innovative things we were doing on healthcare reform. And that also attracted me to Minnesota is to work among those innovative creator think creative thinkers and leaders and figure out how we could um, package that and take those reforms um, nationally to other states and work at, at the federal level on healthcare reform and innovation to bring down the cost and increase the access. Um, so that's what I, we're trying to do today is make Minnesota a leader again on healthcare reform and do innovations that can um, help people across the state get access to healthcare. I'm wondering if there was a specific inspiration or eureka moment for you when um, you knew that you were interested in healthcare economics. You know, I think what intrigued me the most was that it was so different. It violates almost every assumption you need in economics to basically state state that. Markets are the most efficient way to allocate resources, goods and services, and healthcare was so different and unique. And there were so many complexities about it that it may it just became, you know, really uh, interesting from that perspective, and also very rewarding because I knew that if we could we could really make an impact on improving people's lives. It wouldn't sit, the research I was hoping to do wouldn't sit in an academic journal on a shelf. And a lot of the research I did do was very applied and, and very rewarding. But I'd have to say there was probably not one eureka moment. Um, but at the time, there just weren't that many economists that were focused exclusively 
at looking at healthcare. And I think, you know, when I started going to conferences early in my career, we all knew each other and it was a small group. Now it's gotten much larger um, and they've had more influence on, on health policy. Sounds like you were a bit of a trailblazer. I don't know about that. There are a lot of economists. Maybe uh, there weren't that many women in economics. So when I was an undergraduate, the reason I chose economics and not public policy for graduate work was I was lucky enough to have two female faculty members in the Department of Economics. And they told me that there weren't that many women in the field of economics. So I thought it was my duty to add to the numbers and uh, chose economics to make to make an impact for women to have more women at the table. That's incredible. I love that. There may be no such thing as a typical day for you, but if you had to consider kind of what happens um, on average, what does a day look like for you as a member of the House of Representatives? Well, we're in an unusual environment with the pandemic, and we've been working remotely this session, and so that's really changed how we work. But on a typical day, you know, my day starts pretty early. I have two boys that are 10 and 12. My husband is an academic so I have to deal with uh, getting them off to school or getting ready for remote learning. Um, but then I'm, my day is filled with back-to-back either committee hearings. I chair human services, finance, and policy. And then I serve on the health finance and policy committee as well as tax the taxes committee and uh, redistricting and ways and means committee. So most of my day are they're filled back to back. Literally, since we're zooming, I barely have a minute break between meetings, but either in committee hearings or in meetings with agency staff to work on technical language and bills or stakeholders that um, want to me to hear their concerns about legislation that we're working on or legislation that has been introduced And my day usually goes, right now we're constructing our omnibus bills. So my day starts at around 7 a.m. and often goes past midnight in meetings because we're trying to put together over a $16 billion budget for health and human services. Wow. That's I'm speechless about your work day. That's (laughs) well, we're supposed to be yeah, and we're supposed to be on legislative break this week. But for fiscal chairs, it's it's a time where we're constructing our omnibus bill. And then I also, you know, my real job, my day job, is I'm a faculty member. So I'm I continue to teach two classes online this semester. One a health policy undergraduate class, and the other one is my health economics class that I've been teaching since 2004. Um, but just to keep up with the grading and um, contact with the students and assignments, I spend my very late evenings and weekends uh, with my students and, and working on my classes. I am in awe. I don't know how you do that. That's amazing. It is a lot of juggling. I'm getting very good at multitasking. <laughs> um, considering you didn't anticipate a political career, this might be a little difficult to answer, but looking back at your education, is there anything you wish you had done differently to prepare? Yeah, you know, when I was a graduate student, I wish I would have taken, I didn't really take advantage of being um, near St. Paul in the Capitol. I wish I would have gotten more involved in actually the, the policy work with elected officials at the state level while I was a graduate student. So I should have been more involved in tracking legislation and, you know, working on uh, bills um, as a as a graduate student, or at least following what was happening at the state level at the legislature, I didn't I didn't do that, and I it would have probably been um, helpful to get that experience as a graduate student. So I do encourage students to um, track what's happening at the state level 
at the time, I was so focused at the federal level, but um, I do regret not getting more involved in state policy while I was a graduate student, since it was so convenient when I was in the Minneapolis campus, to, so close to the St. Saint- Paul capital. So it sounds like um, that might be a piece of advice that you have for current students interested in pursuing careers in aging, it's important to keep up with the the current policy? Definitely. And since so much is happening across different states and they're experimenting and piloting and have demonstration po- projects, um, you can learn a lot and advocate for those policies if they're successful at the federal level. So I think um, if you can get some experience with state policy, you'll be more successful at, at federal policy as well. Thinking about your work in general, um, what's something that you find to be particularly challenging about what you do? And on the flip side, what would you identify as something that's particularly rewarding? Now, what's challenging as a legislator is that I need to be responsible for knowing so, so much about a variety of areas. Like I cannot just focus on health insurance reform. I have to know about child protection and maltreatment and um, substance abuse, behavioral health, long-term care and aging, of course, um, issues around those with disabilities, and then all my work on the tax committee. So I have to know about tax policy. And then I serve on Ways and Means, which has all the fiscal chairs as members. So we need to understand all the big fiscal bills coming from various committees. So we're spread pretty thin and we need to know a broad area. And so I don't get a lot of time to go in depth on certain issues. And I try to do that when we're not in session because we're in session only part of the year. But we've been meeting in special session um, every 30 days to extend the governor's emergency powers last year. So we didn't get a lot of time to do that work where we really focus in on certain issues and develop legislation. So that's been a real challenge not to have that time to devote and um, to one issue or, or a couple issues. But what's been really rewarding is the things I've worked on so far in long-term care and aging. One is we were the only state in the country that didn't license assisted living facilities. So I worked on legislation to implement licensure for assisted living facilities because we were seeing a lot of maltreatment and abuse of older adults in, in these facilities. And we wanted to make sure we could protect uh, residents. So that passed in 2019. I was very proud of that work. And I continue to clean up that language in that bill as it gets implemented this year. Um, the other uh, areas where I'm working on in long-term care and aging is to make long-term care insurance more affordable, more accessible to individuals, and also to cover um, long-term care services and support so people can stay in their homes as long as possible. Because Being in a nursing facility is so expensive, not just for individuals, but also for the state. A lot of our Medicaid dollars go towards long-term care for low-income older adults. And we really want to keep people in their homes. And I think people want to stay in their homes as long as possible. That means we need to get them services in their home and get those services covered for low-income older adults. I'm curious, just because I'm not super familiar, how much of your work is informed by data analysis versus the lived experiences um, from individuals in your district or community? A lot of the work we do needs to be informed with empirical data, um, especially when we're trying to figure out um, what policies are effective. We look at research studies and we are very dependent on the University of Minnesota researchers, but 
really re- research across the country. Um, I often read Health Affairs. It's a great health policy journal. But the stories that my constituents tell are very effective in passing legislation. So having individuals come to our committees to testify, public testimony, to share their story. I think it's the stories that really get support for legislation. People can hear what that lived experience was, how it affected their lives, and get um, hopefully bipartisan support for legislation to to fix problems that um, affect so many people in Minnesota. As we begin to wrap up here, there are two questions that I like to ask every guest on the podcast. Um, Firstly, to bring things to more of a personal level, if you're comfortable, how has your work changed your perception or goals when considering care for older adults in your own life? You know, older adults, they want, you know, we're, we're going to see a large increase in older adults as the baby boomers age, and we don't have enough providers to provide the care that they're going to need. And so I see it. Um, we've really not invested in long-term care and supportive services. We've sort of keep kicking that can down the road because it's expensive, but it's an area we need to turn our attention to. And as I communicate more with AARP members and older adults and to see what their needs are, um, they're asking for respect and to live respectfully and um, be independent as much as possible. And we need to make sure we can provide those services so they can live as independently as possible and enjoy um, a full life as to the extent possible. And they may need some supportive services. So we really need to get um, people aware that we need to spend resources in this area so people can have a very high quality of life as older adults in Minnesota. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And uh, my last question, it's often assumed that the aging population has a collective wisdom that we can all learn from. I would love to hear if you have any nuggets of wisdom to pass along that you've heard from an older person. You know, they are, I, I'm um, going to be turning 50 this year. So I have heard a lot of advice from various people, but I think the most common theme is that um, really encourage young people to do what they love, do what they're passionate about, because then it's not really work. Um, so I really do encourage when I advise my students, particularly a lot of my business students are, they think they think they're in school because they need the, the degree because they want to go out and earn a lot of money. And then when I visit with them many years later, you know, um, they may have chosen a career that's not as rewarding. So I think if you can do what you love, regardless of um, how little or how much money you're going to make, it's going to be much more more rewarding if you can do that and um, work what you're work in the field you're passionate about. That's my that would be my main advice to young students. And I I have a lot. I'm very optimistic and have a lot of faith of younger generations that they're going to improve improve our state and our country. And um, I think they have, um, uh, they're very motivated to do that. And they have some great ideas. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how, how we evolve as a country and a state with the younger generations coming into the workforce and working on policy. Yeah, it's so important to keep those motivations in mind for us students. That wraps up my questions for you today. Representative Schultz, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Madeline, for inviting me. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Bye-bye. 
This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. We are a collaborative networking group for students studying aging across the university. Stay tuned for the next episodes of Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts.